Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Kat Casey. Kat Casey, thank you so much for joining us here today. Kat Casey, I feel like you and I were just talking. So thank you so much for being here. Let's tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Kat, and how we know each other. So I'm sure no one's ever heard of me before. I'm a very, I'm a wallflower. I'm never talking on social media, but in case you don't know who I am, I'm Kat Casey. I'm the chief growth officer for a company called Reveal. Um, Wait, let me ask about Reveal. I feel like I've heard a lot of chatter about Reveal this week. Am I wrong about that? No, we did have a teeny tiny little double multi-billion dollar crazy acquisition. So yeah, yeah, so we had, we've been, mum's the word. It was actually very hard to do at Ilta because everyone's like, Kat, I think something's going on. But uh, we did a pretty cool double acquisition. So we acquired one of kind of the OGs of eDiscovery, iPro, and the, I'm going to go direct gorilla, you know, direct individual users logical. So we're kind of bringing I don't know, sort of a, a different approach to discovery. It kind of sort of felt like, ah, I'm stuck, square peg, round hole. I just got to make do with whatever tech I have. We're like, no, nah, screw that. I, I want you to have every different type of tech that you need, big case, small case, domestic, international, whether it's kind of IG stuff, compliance. And we're pretty excited. It's still pretty fresh. So more specifics to come, but I'm just, I'm really thrilled about it. So thank you for asking. Yeah, my jaw definitely dropped whenever I saw that. I was like, whoa, look at that news. So very, very exciting. Congrats. I know that was probably a lot of hard work to you and everybody out there. So now there are circles under my eyes. Usually I'm a little more camera ready, but you know what? Mm-mm. I was like, let's do you this live. At- I'm too excited not to do it today. You look amazing. Why don't you tell everybody how we know each other? Well, it's funny. Uh, like I've got my whole alter ego of techno cat that folks have probably seen on social and I feel like we must have met way before it was cool on LinkedIn, but I I don't remember when. I feel like I've known Mm -hmm. you for like a decade, maybe a decade and a half. And it was just Mm -hmm. one of those where I'm like, ah, game recognizes game. I know I like you. You're one of my people. And then we just sort of have like vibed together and spoken together and been on panels together and talked about very similar things together for gosh, 15 years. Yeah, we were definitely on LinkedIn before it was cool. So uh, shout out to Snoop Snoop Dogg for following our lead. We're glad you finally joined the cool crowd. <laughs> I mean, the D-O-double-G had to come hang out with the Cassie and the Techno Cat to really have the right street cred, I'm just saying. You know, Absolutely. Martha can come on the podcast and hang out with us anytime. Snoop's <laughs> welcome. Absolutely. So if you ever want to do a co-branded podcast, I have a nickname. One of my friends' nicknames for me is Kit. So we can be the Kit Cat Kit Cat Podcast. Yes. Yes and yes. Kit Cat. Yes. Okay. Anyway. I, if that is not in the social media post about this, then you are doing it wrong. It's it's definitely Kit okay. Cat. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned Iltacon, and we've talked about being in legal, legal tech for a while. Iltacon is one of the big original OG, speaking as new dog, 
legal tech conferences and you were just there. It was hosted this year down at Disney. What was the big vibe? What was kind of like the chatter or the word on the street out there? You know, it was, I think it's my 17th one. I started going to six back when crazy stuff is like, hey, we're going to OCR stuff. And this year it was, of course, all in on Gen AI, but like even compared to last year, like some of the stuff that was new and shiny and awesome, like metaverse, it was like crickets. It was crazy. So I think we've got, I've coined it, I'm going to trademark it, the, the legal tech magpie syndrome, but it's oh shiny. And we, we look at the next mm-hmm. and it was kind of crazy. Well, and I know because we're we're both friends with Jerry Bowie and you and Jerry were on a panel and I, I believe it was a kind of a part two, a continuation of a previous panel and it was specific to Metaverse. And last year, I know Jerry's LinkedIn posted there were 400 people attending. This year, there were 40. And I posted a response to that, that there's, I think, always been a fair bit of skepticism in the legal world around metaverses, like just not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But I think that people are taking metaverse at a very literal way. And there are elements of the metaverse being built right now that I think people aren't aware of. And that will create a very sophisticated data source for us in e-discovery. Are you still bullish on metaverse or do you kind of think it is a little bit of a flash in the pan? I think metaverse is dead as the word, because I think Mark Zuckerberg not being super successful with his tiny flavor of it has made people think, oh, it's not there. There's a whole host of technology that's transformative from Web3 to blockchain to the DAOs to to all, even the NFTs. There's so much stuff that's in the universe of Metaverse that I think there's another term they're coming out for. It's probably going to have a different brand name, but that interactive and immersive technology that is sort of bridging the gap between AR and VR and IRL meet space, that's powerful. The whole theme of the presentation we did is sort of like, Everyone thinks Thanos snapped and the metaverse died. The snap got undone. Everyone rose from the ashes. And that's what we're starting to see with new iterations of metaverse coming out and cases. Jerry was just on a case where there was data from the metaverse. And so I think practitioners would be smart to keep paying attention to it and especially where it intersects potentially with generative AI. There's there's this whole host of technology where we're not sure what the final form will be. But as technologists and as practitioners, we need to keep watching it because our clients are dabbling. They may not even know what to call it, but they're creating ESI that's potentially discoverable in all these universes. That's kind of my gut on it. Yeah, I agree. And one very established industry or a couple that are dabbling in it vis-a-vis and what they're saying, the industrial metaverse or digital twins are manufacturing facilities, automotive facilities, construction. We all know in e-discovery, construction is always a very complex, challenging source of data usually. We're going to start seeing where IoT data is being fed into these 3D models. And so data is continuously being updated and, and you're seeing the impact of, if I build this building here in this city, what impact will it have to traffic? What impact will it have to pollution? What All of those things. Things, and the, the likelihood of there being litigation there in some way, not too surprising, right? So um, I, I think that there's that the business to business use case, I think is probably very strong. And it's not what we've seen is more of the direct to consumer, the consumer based metaverse, but, and that will come out in some form. But I do think that there is like disruptive tech 
out there on the future. Have you seen the human AI smartphone that's that's not a phone? It's just a little lapel pin. That is and mirrors that black mirror stuff right there, and I love it. Uh huh. So like, I think one of the barriers of entry for metaverse is like, so for me, I get a little motion sick when I put a headset on, right? Me too. When I would go in, I was actually typing in and like, that is not the same immersive experience, but when did everything in social media go crazy? When did everything in internet go crazy? It's the phone. iPhone, right? So it's in my pocket. It's accessible. Same thing with like 3D TV. People didn't want to put the glasses on, but if there's something that's less intrusive and less expensive, frankly, the, the headsets right. are pricey, I think that that's when it'll be transformative. And remember, Time Magazine came out with an article saying the internet was dead in 1997 just because it feels like something is not as because there was a hype that then crashed and we're in the trough of disillusionment that doesn't mean that the underlying technology isn't transformative and we don't need to prepare right right so let's talk about headsets i i can get motion sickness as well i also get chronic migraines and a lot of that the chronic my right and i get chronic migraines largely exacerbated because i had a broken nose (laughs) Folks, don't ever put sunglasses on a dog. They may jump up and hit you in the nose, and then you're dealing with four surgeries. But anyway, um, like nose now. It, I, I, thank you. Very nice, very straight. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but it does make me not like wearing things on my face for too long. And also, let's be honest. There's going to be a wrinkle factor there. We're already worried about tech neck. Why shouldn't you? Like, if you've got. They used to say, don't sit too close to the screen. Now we're putting them right here. I feel like we need to get beauty tech involved with headset tech. I feel, I nearly feel like a full face, but not directly sitting on it. But you're also getting infrared therapy at the same time, like kill two birds. with You know, like you can have it like a little earpiece and it projects. Though I do think, so that phone that I was telling you about, it's a little lapel pin as it was demoed. Who knows what the final version of it will be. And it, it, you know, has audio capabilities where you can go like, hey, find me the nearest florist and order flowers for my blah, blah, blah. But it can also project onto your, so the demo was a guy like getting a phone call and the dial that we're used to seeing on these phones, it was getting projected onto his hand and he was talking, his wife happened to call him in the middle of the TED talk, right? But it makes me think a version we may have may not be VR, it could be a hologram, very much I really think AR is the missing piece where it's you're, it's not where you're blocking the real world out. It's you're adding layers that are in a digital world. They Maybe they are NFTs. And don't get me started on the board apes. Yes, the board apes were stupid, but NFTs are digital representations of IRL with currency that's tied to them in a immutable blockchain, right? That is that is transformative. But like it's all yeah. VR, I think, where there's, there is iterations of the virtual world brought into the real world, but it's not replacing it. Cause I think that's, what's harder for the masses to really get embraced. If you're not a gamer by design and I, I'm like only 30% gamer, it's a little harder to kind of immerse, but if it's mm-hmm. sort of bringing both together, I think that's the tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe for naysayers, I would just say be open-minded or maybe don't be surprised when You might have a client with a dispute that is dealing with something like a digital twin 
type mm-hmm. of a situation. And there, there's a company out there called Doppel.ai, and they're going to launch your digital twin. And we just don't know what the heck is going to go on out there. I know for people like you and I, and I know Jerry as well, we're very much like curious. So I personally want to see what my own Doppel AI, my doppelganger is going to be like. Are you someone who you want to get in and play or are you like, danger, danger? Always want to play. Like I was in Decentraland before it was cool. I think I did a podcast, Motion Sick, mind you, with with Stephen Herrera, Mid Journey, as soon as I can get on. Anytime there's, t- and I think that's an interesting thing. Like we, we as an industry tend to silo tech and say, this tech, interesting, not interesting. This tech, interesting, not interesting. But it really is that intersection. Like the new worlds they're creating in the metaverse that are done using generative AI are like mind blowing, right? Generative AI to make the digital assets mind blowing. Like it's it's not just one or the other. It's it's the force multiplier of both and making it feel more real and a lot less like uh, I don't know Sim Sim City, right? <laughs> I do think it'll be like more accessible. I do think we're going to start, there's going to be some disruptive next gen of the smartphone out there that's going to drive that forward. Whatever that is, who knows? But let's talk a little bit about, you've been all in on AI for some time. Like that is like your tag phrase, your hook. And now it's kind of coming to fruition. Are you like, hello, everyone. See what I've been talking about? My time has come. Well, I think I think we talked about it offline, but like I started writing really sexy articles, game theory of technology assisted review for AI and e-discovery. It was before I knew how to write sexy titles, but like I started Beautiful. writing machine learning and how it can be used like in motion practice and stuff pretty early on. And I think Andy Peck sent me like an early version of his De Silva More case. So I saw that 0607. I'm like, fuck yeah, everyone's gonna be all in. I started talking about it. And like clearly I was a little bit off on my timeline. But so now I've been spending the last, really the last seven, eight years saying people think it's going to be robo lawyer coming in and taking their job. You got to hold a sign saying we'll get it for food. The reality is all this tech amplifies you. And so my big push is like people know AI is transformative now. And so what I want them to know is it's transformative when it's human centered and that you can supercharge yourself and differentiate yourself and future-proof your job with AI. And so that it's part heck yeah and part wow, I've got like nine months to really get that message out so people don't get scared and don't shut down. Yeah. And it's interesting because we've seen that fear-mongering type of cycle in our own profession and litigation, I think in particular, whenever TAR came out. And we were both pre-TAR, post-TAR. I remember doing doc review before TAR came around and literally looking at every single document, even before email threading or when we were looking at cache files, it was insane what we were looking at back then. Going to like warehouses stacked high with banker boxes in Houston with no AC. And there was like, it looked like snowflakes because it was 101. I knew it wasn't. It was like asbestos raining out of there, like Ugh. like red weld paper cuts and the carpal tunnel from a bait store. People that Ugh. entered the industry recently, you don't know. It was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, we've been through some stuff, but we, we've seen that it didn't take all the jobs away. We don't have generally reviews that require so many people. There may not be as many paralegals in a law firm or as many legal assistants, but we're getting more litigation support, technologists, more people in kind of like the data centric area. And 
our data, even though we may not look at as many documents as we used to, our data is getting more complex. And so for people who really understand it, like that project management, the person conducting that whole, whether it's an attorney on the firm side or it's a professional on on the vendor side, if you're really good and you have that data skill, the soft skills, like hit those benchmarks, like that skill set is so much in demand. And it's only going to get more in demand because again, the data sources are going to continue to get more difficult. So, you know, what's interesting is, so I got in space 06 and that was the year that the federal rules amended. And so basically that was the moment that ESI became relevant, really. I mean, it was a little bit before, but what I saw, because I was a baby then, 23 is there was an opportunity for a land grab for people that understood technology to become sticky in case teams, to go from paralegal to today, maybe they're the global director of discovery. There was this moment, this inflection point where being curious and hungry and learning about the tech, even if you didn't know it all, let you become the glue for your company. And we're at a moment in time like that again, because there's so much data, there's so much opportunity, there's this entire, there's new entire new practices being built. There's chief innovation officers, all of this. There's an opportunity for hungry people that are curious about tech to have that inflection point today. And I think as much as there's fear, people should see just massive, massive opportunity because there was no path to be the person that is the prompt engineer for, I don't know, DLA Piper or whatever law firm, right? There was no path to be the, the partner in charge of the innovative, disruptive technology or Web3 group. So there's there's fear if you choose not to learn because other people are out there and hungry, but don't be afraid of the tech. Be excited by it because in an industry that has kind of been lockstep and a little rigid, that is the way people just leapfrog ahead. I mean, you and I are pretty young to have the types of roles that we have, and I think it's a lot because of the amount of curiosity we had around technology. Yeah, and I think it's even going to be more transformative because whenever tar rolled through, it was hitting such a niche area of even just the legal profession. And if you talk to anyone outside of the legal profession, no one no one gets it. But now everyone is talking about generative AI. It is not a situation where partners can just like, that's not for me to deal with. It's their clients are coming to the partners and saying, how can you help me? What are you doing? Or how can you help advise me? And so that's really where like the transformation and the opportunities are incredibly ripe. And I've been talking about this topic for the past year, and I feel very passionate about it. We as e-discovery professionals have often been like the island of misfit toys or the toys on that island. And, you know, kind of like a weird little weird but cool subset that maybe didn't get all like the cool cred that we could. But I, over the past year, talking to people in blockchain, like builders in blockchain, not necessarily attorneys, but founders and telling them, you know, I use machine learning and litigation and adversarial setting. They are like, boom, wowed, instant, instant cred, right? And it really was a light bulb moment for me of like, I'm going to lead into this. I'm not going to be like the embarrassed, like, well, I kind of do this thing called e-discovery and blah, 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 blah. No, it's like, hey. I've been using machine learning and litigation in an adversarial setting for 10 years. And it's, it's very empowering. And that's like what a message that I really want to tell people. If you feel interested in all of this, there's a ripe opportunity to be a leader in your firm, in your business, pursue other opportunities, even if where you're at isn't doing anything and you see something like the MIT EDU thing 
invite yourself to the table. Don't wait to be asked. Invite yourself. See see what you can do to get involved, right? Like it and and sometimes I think there are a lot of strong people in our space, but they tend to be introverted and they tend to not like push themselves out there. And I'm introverted, but now I'm at the point where I don't care. I'll just like ask anybody like, hey, you want to talk to me? And the first time I went on the stage, Mark Yakuno, my CEO at the time, had to physically shove me. I was so afraid. So I, no one believes it, but I am an introvert recovering. Be out there, be confident, because you may not know everything, but if you know this tech piece, everyone's going to trust you and want to hear what you've got to say. And like, we're all kind of the island of misfit toys, but we're that the toys that they want to hear from that know the thing that they know nothing about. And let's be honest, once there's an episode by South Park on something, it's gone mainstream. Like <laughs> if they're from Kanye West to generative AI, like if, if that's what's being talked about or Paris Hilton, like once it's hit mainstream, like my grandmother's using it, my nephew's using it, your clients are using it. So if you can learn about this tech and be out there and be vocal, you can transform your career. Cause I think that's what you and I have both done. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's not just doing, it's also being like an advocate and an educator, because I do think that there is a lack of a real conversation about what generative AI is, how to use it effectively. It is iterative. It is something you're not, you're going to have to spend time like working with it to get what you want right away. And I think that trough of disillusionment, that's going to happen whenever people start spending money on subscriptions and they've read about how easy it is and how it'll make you so much more profitable, blah, blah, blah. And they'll start playing around with it. And it's not getting them what they want because they've not been properly educated that you do have to work at it. And there may be some times where it's just easier for you to do the thing on your own than to use the tool, you know? So I think like having those kinds of conversations about repeatable processes, defensibility, SOPs, like risk associated with the using it in certain situations. I think when you use it, like I think, is it powerful? Heck yeah. But should it be replacing maybe sentiment analysis based on different legacy machine learning? Maybe not. Right. So like what I tell people is put it on your phone or put it on your laptop, start interacting with generative AI in low risk situations. You need a recipe about salmon, you can read 15 paragraphs in someone's life story, or you ask ChatGPT. If it tells you that you should put chocolate in the salmon, then you know, maybe that's a hallucination. But like, start playing with it in, in low risk scenarios. And then if and when you use it in your practice, have a workflow that you would have with any other tool where it's going to have validation. So you trust, but verify the output. Like, this is not an easy button. This is a supercharged button, but you still need guardrails. The thing that drives me crazy about these apps that are coming out. I have spent the last five plus years saying, AI is not a magic wand, folks. AI is not a magic wand. You have to work at it. And what is the icon all of the apps use? They use a magic wand. And it's really, I have a bone to pick, guys. Developers, what are you thinking? God. They're thinking more downloads. They're thinking more downloads. Yeah. But like, that's You're also, right. Like, I think the cool thing for folks like, like you and I, but also folks that are just curious about this tech is you can talk both about like the transformative, awesome impact, but also like, hey, we are, we're legal professionals. We're supposed to find the risk. We're supposed to call out the things to be aware of. So we can do both. Like I am incredibly excited. I use this stuff 20 times a day. And I also write about, hey, don't do this type of thing. That's going to lead to, to a bad scenario. Like you can do both. Mm-hmm. 
What is the one emerging tech that really gets you most excited? Like of all of the diverse things out there. It's GAI, but it's not GAI as we're looking at it now. It's when it's woven into the fabric of other powerful AI, like almost just like a Tetris to end. So, and only because when I look at GPT-4 and GPT-5, so not ChatGPT, but in BARD, the ability to cut through the noise to signal is transformative. And the ability to bridge the gap for people that are non-technologists to access this is transformative. So am I excited about any specific application? I mean, I love mid-journey. I love, you know, I use all of these different iterations of GAI for, for writing, for thought leadership, for all that stuff. But what I'm excited about is changing how we think about information retrieval and the democratization of AI. And I think with those two things, it's going to be as transformative as when time said the internet is dead and then flash forward six years later and it's in everyone's pocket. And then we're going to start seeing it where we're not talking about it. It's just implied. It's implicit. Of course, you're using it. And it's woven into all these functions. And then we're going to build new innovation on top of it. So I don't know if that, it's probably not the answer you were looking for, but I'm kind of looking for that when the synergy starts happening and kind of the, the, I don't know, the rubber hits the road, I guess. Yeah, I think because I there are a lot of little ways that I use generative AI or an AI tool, whether it's in this podcast series and I use it to help me edit or create clips or something like that. But it's not seamless from end to end, right? Like I have to record in one thing and then I export and then I create clips and then I export into another app to edit and then I edit, but then I export it to another app to create like social media copy. And it's not, there's not like the one and done. Uh, it's, I've got like SEO optimization algorithms. And then I've got like, we'll work with GPT for structure. I'm going to work with Midjourney for an image. I'm going to use Jarvis. I'm going to use Hemingway. I'm going to like, even just to write a blog post, like I'm, I'm doing all these layers and I like the tech and so I will do it. I don't think the average person would. And so I think when that can become more, not a one-stop like automated, but yeah. Like you can, you can templatize that in some sort of way. Like you kick off, okay, I've recorded this. Now kick off all of these 10 steps with this underlying source material and pull. That's what I want, you know? So for it not to feel like AI. So where we screwed up as an industry, like going back to, you know, six, I thought, Hey, AI all day, every day. Right. We made AI complicated and scary and different. Oh, it's your AI workflow. You need a linguist and a statistician and you need to do a different, different, different. I think for GAI to be truly transformative, it, it needs to be just baked in, right? And so you're seeing a little bit of that with Microsoft, you're seeing a little bit of that with other technology platforms. I think what will ultimately happen is we won't talk about it because it's just going to be one of the engines that are powering better, faster tech that's connecting the dots or that's helping you generate output better. But It'll be like the internet of things. Like I, I remember when, when IOT was such was yeah. a trending topic, right? Everyone was like, IOT, internet of things, blah, 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 blah. We don't talk about it anymore. We don't really talk about it anymore. Like, oh, it's interconnected tubes. What's going on? Like it's everywhere though. It is everywhere and it's solving all the crimes. <laughs> so. But it's, you know, I think, but I think that's, that's the aha moment. Like we've, we've, we didn't reach that saturation point of pop culture obsession with metaverse and with say clubhouse and some of the other tech we've reached that everyone's talking about it with GAI. If we can get to that next step of no one's talking about it, but everyone's using it. 
look at Google. Google's got some of the most powerful algorithms in the world. If anyone really thought about how complicated it was, would they be using 18 times a day? Probably not. And I think that's what we're going to see where the, the GAI is then, it's synthesized with all this other great technology and it's just you're getting, you are able to do stuff better and faster and more compellingly. And it does create a whole host of risks. We could spend a whole hour talking about deep fakes and all that stuff, but it's um, it does it's made my life much more interesting. It's a lot more, I'm able to unlock my creative juices a lot more, um, even in less than creative stuff. So, But I do think it's worth saying when you first start playing with these things, hold, block off some time because it's going to take a little bit of time to like figure out. I'm not as good as with the image creation things. And I haven't gotten into mid journey yet because I have to go into discord and I, I am on discord for some of my NFT projects, but it also, it's so like needy and so alert heavy that I try not to get into it very much. But I know mid journey, it's a different type of like way you engage with that kind of generative AI, well, right? Image based GAI is I'm, I'm a very creative person. Like I've obviously got a brand look and feel and stuff, but I'm not, I'm not a person who can draw it myself. Right. And so mm -hmm. at once I figured it out, I think every blog article I've done for the last six months, the images have been through mid journey. And so it, it allows me to, once I figured out the math of language to get it to do what I want. So it's almost like writing an equation. Once I figured out that I'm like, oh, I've got to say, you know, do it in this, the format of cyber and synth, do it in this aspect ratio, this color scheme, little trial and error. It was very cool to be like, I made that. Even though really? it, was broad, it would be terrible. It would never be able. It's really like a regular expression or something like that. Do you do you tend to have like a style guide? Like the, these are like my go to as far as the style, and then really you're just changing the content or whatever, and then tweaking that as you go. Sin. Um, I will say accents of pink, teal, and blue. Um, white background. Sixteen nine aspect ratio, so it's wider. And then I, I play with it in Canva. So like, you know, I was like, give me a picture of. Clint Eastwood from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, holding two cell phones, looking stern. And then I would say, cyber and synth, ping and ditto, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, that's eh, okay. And then I swapped out the background. And it, it made something that I don't have ownership for. They can actually sell it, but I also don't have to pay image rights for. So it's kind of from an IP standpoint, kind of cool. Um, so it's, but it's trial and error. It'll take me it, it used to take me maybe 40 minutes to find an image I liked. It takes me about 15 minutes to make one I like. So it is a time save, but you know, it's, it's trial and error. Do it on like a blog picture. is not something that will make or break your career. So mm -hmm. that low risk, high learning scenarios you can do, or it, I'm literally, I go to chat GPT before I Google stuff now, like I, I my little icon and I, I trained it to, to talk like me. So I'll, I'll say, answer this question, or if I want to write an outline, say I wanted to write an outline about, about this conversation, um, write an outline about the metaverse, emerging data and reveal in the voice of Kat Casey, the legal tech influencer, cheeky, no emojis. Right. And so that's how I'll start getting my thought on how I'm going to structure a conversation. Occasionally it thinks I'm a pirate. I don't know why I, I write like a pirate, but it's like, there's, there's stuff you can do, right. Or if there's an author that you like in the style of, so because otherwise you're going to get, I can't answer that question. I'm a large language model and my data mm. stopped in November of 2019. So. I'm going to think of you as a pirate forever now. So the cat, it was, techno it was, cat pirate. Our walk the plank. And I'm like. What? It was very <laughs> weird. 
It's only in GPT-3.5. GPT-4 doesn't always know who I am, which personally offends me. But, mm. so. Rude. Not very nice. I'm like, I publish a lot. Come on. Scrape my stuff. I'm not going to sue you. <laughs> You're making my life easier. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's a, a, a equivalent exchange is happening here. I would love to hear your, your kind of like closing thoughts on what you see as the next like year to two years in the legal profession, because I think for the first time, we're really seeing broad groups in the legal world talking about it in a way that we've never really seen talk or be interested in, let's just say technology general. So what do you think is going to happen? My hope, and I'm seeing beginnings of it, is that it's actually going to give legal a seat at the table in a lot of organizations as they are evaluating how to grab onto the GAI hype train. Like we, we very much are in the dot-com boom era of it. So my hope is we as the intersection of tech and legal are going to get a seat at the table or flip the table and drag people over to the table they should be at. Uh, if that's right. My I do foresee a lot more integration of GAI and a lot more case law about it into legal technology tools and then we're going to just be demolished by the volume of uh, deepfake data, GAI-generated data, GAI query logs, metaverse-based stuff. It's it's sort of where we had that critical mass when all the apps disrupted the volume, velocity, and variety of data from social to just communication short format. The GAI, Web3, all of that boom in the next six months is going to start really hitting all of us from a discovery standpoint. And so I think the best thing any of us can do is educate yourself, listen to podcasts like Cassie Ann, and talk like adopt dorks. Find the people like us that talk and read about this, follow Jerry Bowie, talk with people that are dorking out about this because it's moving so fast. It is. not up to your neck in it all the time. It's hard to keep pace. And even us, I, I don't keep pace with everything. So have a tribe of dorks that helps you get there. And also be aware there's a fatigue to try. You cannot stay 100% on top of everything. There is fatigue that sits in. There is there's even despair of, oh my gosh, I'm never, like, I'm so exhausted. But just pick it back up the next day and you're not going to know it all. So, uh, like, we, we are right. in real time. So it's not like you're 10 years behind. We're at the start line together. Some of us might be a little bit, like, sprinting ahead, but you're not far behind, even if mm -hmm. you just today. And I think it's a great opportunity for our, the e-discovery community to come together. And regardless, if you work at Reveal or Relativity or my law firm versus another law firm, we should all be getting together and saying like, how are we going to deal with this? Because it's, it's, got, it's an us problem. I've already had a chat with Todd Kellner, with Kristen Trailer, and with, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank from Ona, but I was like, hey, we're all frenemies. There aren't that many thought leaders in e-discovery. Our job is all the same. It's not to sell software. It's to sell AI and tech and don't be afraid. And so I'm like, let's do a podcast. Let's do the frenemies for life. Absolutely. I love it. I, I mean, I, and I just think it's, it's an opportunity. Like we just all need to be coming together. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, the United Nations of Edith. <laughs> well, but like we all have the same goal for lawyers to be using tech to get answers faster. Right. Or to understand the risks of the tech their clients are using no matter what they, they say to do or not do, right? If that's how we look at it, then we should all be out there beating the drum together because it's a it's quite the uphill battle. Yeah. 
I I completely agree. Well, we are at the end. We could talk forever. I know, Cat Casey, but I don't want to keep you. I know you have many things to do. So I do appreciate you for joining this episode. I know I've learned a thing or two, and I'm sure my audience has as well. And to the audience, thank you all for joining this episode of Cassie and 